Hey there, and welcome back to Tax Sale Insiders. We're a podcast for successful lean and deed investing. Hey, thanks for being here for another season of Tax Sale Insiders. In case you've missed it or are just joining us, we're taking a little bit of a different spin on this season where we're actually interviewing investors and also attorneys um, concerning case studies and lessons learned that you as an investor can use in your business to assist with your success and avoid those pitfalls. In case you don't know me, I'm Rachel Seidensticker, COO over at Taxel Resources. And in the past seasons, we actually talked more about the nitty gritty on the how to invest and the state statutes and things of that nature. So today's guest is actually a return visitor, and he was here with us in season one, episode seven. I bring you Scott Walterbach. Um, First, he came here to uh, be interviewed about the state statutes for investing in Missouri. But this time, he's going to actually really dig into some lessons you can learn about noticing and due process by using some of his own case studies and examples that he has from investors he's worked with. It's not the first time we've heard from Scott, and it certainly won't be the last either, so be sure to stick around for future episodes like this one. Now, these are short snippet interviews, and they're designed to give you nuggets of information you can take with you as you grow your business and fine-tune your practices. So it's time to sit back and relax for another episode of Tax Sale Insiders with Scott Walterbach of Bessine Walterbach based out of Missouri and our very own CEO, Brian Seidensticker. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Tax Sale Insiders uh, with me today. I guess I should introduce myself first, right? I'm Brian Seidensticker. I'm CEO of, of Tax Sale Resources. And uh, with me today, I have with this Scott Walterbach. He's uh, with uh, Bassine Walterbach uh, LLP, which is an attorney firm out of Missouri. And Scott's one of the the few and the finest uh, attorneys in this country that focus on tax sales, uh, which is a niche within a niche. Um, anyway, Scott, we've we've chatted in the past. Uh, you gave us a great overview of of how sales work in in Missouri. Welcome back. It's good to be here, and thank you for having me. I appreciate the opportunity. And uh, Scott, I guess we were kind of chatting before uh, we hopped on this recording, but um, I think it'd be great if we focus a bit on, on I'll say lessons learned, things that case studies, um, you and I both kind of geek out on this stuff, but um, you know the things that most investors, new investors come in the space, you know, don't really know, and and being involved in those cases, um, and and some of that you know case law that sets the you know the statutes um, and how things need to operate in Missouri, I'd love to get your insight on on what some of those you know I'll say past cases or, or some of those um, situations you've you've found your clients in. I guess not really you, but you, your clients in, um, and just kind of educate us a bit on on what the lesson learned was. Yeah, uh, first of all, that's not the the first time somebody's made that uh, mistake. I get people all the time that think that uh, it's me investing in all these tax sales, and it's not. Uh, unfortunately, I, I've I've never gotten into that, but I represent plenty of clients that do. And um, you know, the one of the biggest things that these cases come down to, the biggest area that we have issues in, is noticing, sending mm-hmm. notice of the right to redeem in a way that both complies with statute and with uh, 
uh, notions of constitutional due process. And so, and that's, with uh, that I, I don't mean to cut you out there. I think that's key for anybody that hasn't listened to Scott and I in the past or in any other interviews done with attorneys is everyone leans on the state statutes, right, Scott? But there's really two yes. things that you're, you're trying to, to abide by uh, state statutes like everyone knows, but there's this idea of due process, which is a, which a federal level thing of things that are required in order to notify people or give them the opportunity to respond. And that's really what drives a, probably a lot of the confusion of what I should or shouldn't do. I just want to make sure the, the listeners understand that it, that it, you know, when you're talking about what's required and you, you know, you're sifting through, if the investor sifting through the, the statutes, they can't find, why you're doing this? Well, that's exactly why. There's there's more to the story, as we all know. Yeah, there's case law out there. And so, you know, we're following case law, both from Missouri and just nationally on tax sales. Some of the uh, most prominent cases on tax sales uh, at the federal level are not from Missouri at all. So we're kind of following all that sort of thing. And so to think of the statute as a uh, not a ceiling, but a floor that's that's the biggest thing I try to drive home to investors. And some are savvy and sophisticated and and they pretty well go it alone on sending notices. And there's nothing wrong with that necessarily. Others rely on me completely to do their noticing for them. And so and and then there's everything in between. They'll come to me with questions. Uh, and so it just depends on your level of sophistication. Um, but that's that's part of what we do, not only taking it through a quiet title after the fact, but but helping with notices along the way. And so I wanted to share one just kind of anecdote. I have plenty of cases going on right now, but I want to talk about one from, oh, I think it was 2015 or 2016, <clears throat> because I feel like it highlights the issue that we're talking about here, which is sending out uh, proper notices and following up on them correctly. This particular case um had an absentee owner who frequently traveled abroad. And um, there are provisions under Missouri law about how you can send notice to people abroad. Mm. Th this case didn't necessarily involve that because at the relevant times, this person actually was here in the States, but essentially the property was a rental property. He had lived in it for, I don't know, 10 years. And then for about five or six years or so, and I, I may be getting the facts somewhat wrong, but this is close enough to give you the gist of it. Hadn't lived there and didn't receive mail there and that kind of thing. Well, never updated the county, right? And, and so there wasn't really anything at the county to indicate anything other than that this person, John Doe, lived at 123 Main Street. And so that's, of course, what you would do initially is send notices to that address and, and obviously what you you know, the language in your notice has to comply with the statute and notions of constitutional due process. And I cover that pretty extensively in the white paper that I did for tax sale resources. And so uh, a lot of that's in there. But at any rate, sent the notices. Some of them came back. Um, some of them did not. And so then the question becomes, OK, what else is there to do? Do a search. Client did a basic search. Sent notice to uh, another address that was found didn't know whether it was a good address or not and that was kind of that go to apply for the deed there's no redemption get your deed get it into quiet title litigation in missouri that's kind of how we do it we have a non-judicial foreclosure process and then we confirm it with a judicial uh a quiet title 
And lo and behold, here comes the bank and, that has a mortgage on the property and the trustee for the bank and this individual uh, owner himself. <clears throat> and what are they going to what are they going to attack? Well, under Missouri law, the statutes are, are fairly clear that there's a very limited number of things you can attack about a tax sale. But one of those is notice. And so most of these cases, that's where uh, somebody who's defending a lawsuit against a tax sale purchaser, an investor, that's where they're going to hang their hat is what is deficient about these notices because the requirements are technical within the statute themselves, but then also they have this notion of reasonableness under constitutional due process and so that you know anybody can argue that what you did was not enough or what you did was uh was insufficient for any number of reasons and you only get to learn that after the fact hmm. and so this was a case where we as the tax sale uh, purchaser learned that after the fact they had all sorts of ideas about things we could have or should have done uh, that the tax sale purchaser should have done to effectuate actual notice. Hmm. Of course, the constitutional standard is not actual notice, but it's notice calculated to get there under the circumstances. This particular case, uh, you know, we went through the case, we did our written discovery, deposed the uh, owner, had a pretty good feel for what the claims were, but there was just not much hope for settlement. Took it through the trial, um, go through all that process and then about a month later the court came out with a ruling that said yeah I don't think you did enough and the tax sale is set aside <clears throat> luckily this judge was um, good judge fairly new and and read everything and did a good job and and provided the uh, reimbursement to which my client was entitled when your deed is set aside for lack of notice in particular ways, there are ways that you can plead it and improve it up so that you, you know you, your investment remains protected. Um, in this partic particular case, though, let's dig into the, those those facts about notice just a little bit more. In this case, he the owner basically came forward and said, "Hey, had you looked in these specific places, you would have found that my current address is." Uh, this other, you know, in a neighboring suburb, okay? Well, one of those places was what we call in Missouri CaseNet, which is um, very similar to um, uh, public access, you know, to court electronic records in the federal system. It's basically just the electronic records that kind of anybody has access to. You can search for cases. If you search for his name, uh, you you might have found this. And the other problem was this was a foreign name and it had several different kind of alternate spellings that we, you know, you know, where we kind of sometimes Americanize people's foreign names. And so there's there's alternate spellings. Had we used one of those alternate spellings and looked in this particular, uh, done a search for this particular, in this particular uh, database, we would have found it, right? Okay, well, that all sounds well and good, but to me, it sounds like a big game of gotcha after the fact. But I'll just tell you, that's the way it is. They don't care. Um, judges don't seem to care what you did or how many notices you sent or how many cases you had to send notices on. They're just always going to look for, if a person's there, they're always going to look for a way that they can set aside the tax sale and you're going to get your money back. You're just not going to end up with the property and puts everybody back to, to status quo. And, and so 
that's kind of how it works out. So it just always kind of seems like a big game of gotcha. And that's what you have to be careful of is when you're sending notice, you have to look at this from the perspective of somebody who doesn't know you, doesn't know what you know, doesn't have the resources that you have, and doesn't really care what you knew. The, all, they're, all they're hearing is somebody's about to lose their property, and they're here screaming about why they shouldn't lose their property. And that can be very persuasive to judges. So your notices shouldn't be just, I'll just do the bare minimum to comply with the statute. We really try to go above and beyond to the ends of the earth. Any piece of information that we have or we can scrounge up, we'll use it to try to effectuate an actual notice to the recipient. That's interesting. Um, I mean, it, it's unique in the, the fact that maybe that particular individual and their name, you know, was was different enough to where that argument, I guess, kind of makes sense to me. But if, if it were John Smith, for example, right? You, I guess, yeah, you could dig up every John Smith in the world and send them notice, but that's also not economically feasible, right, across the right. board. Right. And so that's why you would probably look for some testimony from your client about their, uh, about the, the, from the tax sale purchaser talking about what is their process? How do they go about, where do they start? How do they go about finding new addresses? What happens if it comes back? What do they do? And so you really have to bring the trier of fact, usually a judge. These are usually judge-tried cases, not jury-tried cases. And bring the judge into an understanding of what it's like to be in your shoes to say, hey, this is what we've done, and this is why we've done it. This is why we couldn't do more and, and help them along in that process. But it's an uphill battle all the way. I, I did have one case, a different case, even before this one, where um, – uh, the bank was arguing that uh, we should have, it was a, a mortgage holder on the property in Missouri, we call them deed of trust, but essentially it's a mortgage holder, was arguing that we should have sent notice to a particular address. And um, we were able to successfully, well, actually, I take that back. Before we get to that point, they were arguing that the collector should have sent notice to a particular address before even the sale of the tax sale certificate itself. Hmm. And it was clear they weren't going to settle. And I actually brought the collector in, subpoenaed the collector, and had, had them take the stand and question them about what do they do? How do they do it? Is it practical to do anything more? And at the end of the day, long story short, the court believed the collector's testimony that they essentially did everything they could within reason, given the nature of their office, how many people they have dedicated to these things, how much time they have, how, and what kind of databases they have, and, and everything that they can do. And they basically said, Look, I don't see a way we could have done anything more, and the court believed that. So it's possible to prevail on those things, but notice is is the biggest thing that I think uh, investors underestimate or get wrong. Mm -hmm. And it's um, you, you hit on a good point. I want to reiterate that in the eyes of most, uh, I'll say, judicial figures, the guys making the you know, judges, whoever making the decision on, is this how it's going to transfer hands, right? As, as soon as somebody jumps up and says, wait a minute, I don't think it should. Most times that deciding entity, judge, whoever is going to lean on the side of whoever, you know, is, is saying, hey, I want to keep my house. Because at the end of the day, um, and, and I, I actually agree with the sentiment and some investors 
may not like me saying this, but um, the intent of tax sales is not to, to be a transfer of property. You know, that's not the intent of it, right? It's the intent to, to ensure the payment of taxes. And if someone is not paying their taxes, then there's an enforcement to it. And that can be the transfer of the property. And so if there's the any opportunity for the property to remain with whoever the previous owner was and for the payment of those property taxes to continue, then most officials, judges are going to side with the people that previously earned you know, owned it, right? They're not going to side with the, the, the investor that wants to take ownership of that property. Now, I'm not saying what is ultimately right or wrong. I'm just, you know, like you said, stated the reality of this industry and what um, you know, judges typically take the side of. And I, that's just you know, good to recognize that because the other part of what you mentioned, I think is good to, to, uh, to revisit is, is you, you can try to make you know, these bulletproof, right? And notice everybody in every single way, right? And, and have a, a solid case in, in every single time you go to foreclose, but the, you know, the economical scale of doing that is just, it's unfeasible, right? You can't do that in every case. So you can be picky choosy and, and certain and say, I think this one might end up being contested. I'm gonna do a little more, right? If that's what you wanna do, or you, you set the base of what you're going to do and just realize that there are going to be a few that slip out of the cracks and hopefully end up with a judge that sees it the right way. At least you get reimbursed with whatever interest is owed to you. And I guess you're made whole. You may not you know, get the home run out of that particular situation, but you're made whole on that investment. I just want to make sure those couple items, you know, weren't lost upon the, you know, the listeners, uh, Scott, sorry to interrupt. Yeah, I, I think Missouri is not unique in that regard. Um, you'll probably never hear a judge or somebody say, Hey, I'm going to bend over backwards to do anything I can to make the facts fit setting aside this tax sale. I, I don't think they're going to do that or they're going to say that, but at the same time, they're looking at it and it's like, you know, one is like an egregious harm and that, you know, to, to rights well-rooted in our, our country and our constitution, property rights. It's kind of what our country was founded upon. And on the other hand, while the investor's investment is still protected and they're going to get their money back plus interest and not just interest from the redemption period up to the date of the collector's deed, it's interest up to the date of judgment. So it's they they kind of look at it as well, no harm, no foul. Yeah, you're not going to end up with a property. But like you said, if the goal of a tax sale was to transfer property, I think we'd have a heck of a lot shorter redemption periods and we would make that happen much more quickly. But that's not really the goal. The, the goal is really to give the person every opportunity and some time, some breathing room to try to pay and to give them ample notice so that they are very clear about what's happening to their property and that they have a right to take action to redeem and all those sorts of things. But at the end of the day, we do recognize whether anybody will say it or not that uh, a tax foreclosure is just sort of disfavored in the law and they will find a way to, to set it aside if there's any shortcoming about it. Doesn't mean we don't try, but there's also a, a reasonableness limit to what you can do, especially if you've got a lot of properties. If you've got one or two, that's great. You might be able to do a little bit more because you've got a little bit more time and a little bit, uh, you know, probably um, 
just you can pay a little bit more attention to the details of that specific thing if a notice comes back for example here's another case i i had where um recently um settled where the notice to a particular bank came back with a forwarding address on there and it's on this little yellow sticker on the front of the envelope and if you're not looking real carefully you may not catch it and i don't think we caught it and so we never sent a notice to this corrected forwarding address turns out it was like a successor bank a bank that had bought you know the bank banks are always you know changing names and buying each other out and all sorts of things so but there was a new address on there and had that been one of you know two properties that this particular client had well they they might have looked at that more carefully and said hey you know we need to we need to pause send out another notice to this new address but instead you know it's just it was probably in a stack of 100 others just like it and and got missed and and that that doesn't mean we're done we we still have ways that that we pursued the case and and got it resolved in a way that you know we talk about settlements being something both sides can live with <laughs> not necessarily something both sides like but both sides can live with and and we got it done and and uh, and and it was to the sat the mutual satisfaction of the parties but but the, it's just one of those things it's not just um and this is another thing that that investors could be very aware of which is not just what you know at the time you send out notices but constitutional case law is pretty clear that it it's not just at the time but also what happens what knowledge you come into after the fact and missouri law sort, sort of provides for this about what triggers your obligation to send follow-up notices and what you have to do we have plenty of times where i i recommend that we um will find email addresses these days we will post a notice on the property and get an affidavit like a geo-located affidavit uh from a process server showing that they did it and timestamp picture and all that kind of thing and um sometimes uh, we've considered publishing or doing what else whatever else we can think of to do to effectuate actual notice we want somebody to be able to look at it after the fact and say look they did everything they could and even if we don't get to that point in litigation we at least want to be able to make that argument in a persuasive way to our adversary so that maybe we can get it settled maybe yeah we still think we're not going to win because at the end of the day a tax uh, foreclosure is disfavored but we can give them a little bit of concern that hey there's a good chance the plaintiff wins here so that can affect uh, a possible settlement as well so uh, another way that an attorney could could help you in this process yes like you said and uh, speaking of what lengths you have some folks will go to, I guess this was an attorney, but it was a county official. I was talking to an uh, investor, this is years ago, um, but it, the county official ended up going out on Facebook to try and reach this tax hold, you know, property holder, um, basically to let them know, hey, you know, you better take care of this because, you know, the foreclosure's going through and they ended up, you know, actually being successful and con contacting them through Facebook. And that's kind of wild, but, um, you know, in, in some, regards if that's the only way you can contact that person and the county official was, was willing to do that and and again you know put it back on the on the tax roll for for that county then it ended up being i guess the right uh solution in that situation but like you said and in theory a, a court's not going to necessarily uh, require you to get that creative <laughs> in effectuating notice but at the same time 
if there's evidence that you like let's say you are friends on facebook or connected on linkedin and you didn't send a notice there that's the kind of thing i'm talking about where a court's going to say well why wouldn't you do that if you had an act if you had a real desire to effectuate actual notice wouldn't you have done that like let's say you you want to go to dinner with somebody and and uh plans change and you've got to get them notice about hey i'm going to be a half hour later whatever well what would you do to get them a notice because you have a real desire to give them actual notice you wouldn't just send a letter and go well to the address right. file to treasure probably wouldn't cut it in most cases right 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 <laughs> but that but that's and I, I say that kind of flippantly but i'm trying to illustrate the point that the right. court's going to look for and the case law looks for a real desire to effectuate actual notice and those are kind of some of the things that you get into what did you know when did you know it and then what did you do based on that knowledge well scott um you know noticing and, and due process is a subject that i know comes up you know like you said not just in new jersey in uh sorry missouri in multiple states um across the country and and um this was great. I don't mean to, I, I know there's some other great topics and I want to, I want to get to those, but we'll, we're going to save that for the next episode. So everybody listening, thanks for joining us. Uh, tune in for another episode with, with Scott and I, and we'll, we'll talk about some more riveting topics. Thank you, Scott. Yeah. Thanks again for having me. It's been a pleasure. It was great to have Scott Walterbach back on the show, but with a bit of a twist. Scott works firsthand with many investors in the state of Missouri, so he fully understands the obstacles that they face. We appreciate his willingness to shed some light on the noticing process to help you, the investor, make wiser decisions going forward. Keep tuning in as we bring you these quick nuggets of advice twice per month. I'm Rachel Seidensticker signing out. Happy investing.